You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. It's Monday the 5th of December. It is cold here in TW11 this morning. It's grey, it's wintry, and it's set to be that way most of the week, to the point where racecourses in the UK are considering the season's first deployment of the frost covers this weekend for the important fixtures at Cheltenham and Doncaster. More of which later in the programme. We have so much upon which to reflect over the last couple of days of sublime jump racing in England and Ireland. The headline is that the Mighty Mayor Honeysuckle was beaten for the first time. Beaten, but not disgraced. She was beaten by Chupu, who's trained by Gordon Elliott, and Classical Dream, trained by Willie Mullins. And of those two Irish training titans, it was certainly Elliott that held sway at Fairy House yesterday on their big day as he took the big novice's chase with Mighty Potter. He also got the better of Mullins in the bumper. All told, a very productive weekend for the man from Cullen Tra. As far as what happened in the UK is concerned, Edward Stone graduated to senior company with honours in the Tingle Creek chase, demolishing his field. Quite simply, it was worth the wait for last year's Arkle hero. John Bond was very good in the Henry VIII, though he had relatively little of any depth to beat. And at Aintree, it was another big payday for the brothers Skelton, Dan and Harry, with Ashtown Lad. Whilst could last year's Grand National winner, last season's Grand National winner, Noble Yates, have established himself as a meaningful contender for Grade 1 honours, perhaps in the Gold Cup, perhaps as soon as the King George at Kempton Park. I've doubtless miss, missed plenty out, but I know that David Yates from the Daily Mirror won't. David, first of all, honeysuckle yesterday. Does it matter that she was beaten? It doesn't matter that she was beaten. What matters really is what comes next, isn't it? Um, like Kenny Alexander and Henry de Bromhead, we all knew this day would come. We didn't think it would come yesterday. Obviously, she was uh, the 11-4 to on favourite for the Hatton's Grace. She was bidding for a record fourth win at in the, the Fairy House Grade 1. I, I thought, turning for home, Nick, that things were going really well. Rachel Blackmore was sitting motionless. Uh, equally, when Honeysuckle jumped to the front two out, I thought, well, you know, here we go. Normal service. And... Her effort was, I thought, quite brief or or she was certainly unable to sustain it. I'd be interested to see if anything does come to light uh, to explain her first defeat because you look at the horses that beat her, well, uh, the winner, whose name I'm struggling to pronounce because uh, Chopu, which we thought was the uh, standard pronunciation I, I noticed from a, a search engine has now been replaced by Tehu Poho. Anyway, the Gordon Elliott trained five-year-old had finished last behind Honeysuckle on his last two outings in the champion hurdle and then at Punchestown. And of course, Classical Dream, the neck runner-up in yesterday's Hatton's Grace, uh, whilst a rattling good two-miler a few years ago, has now reinvented himself as a stayer. Um, it was two and a half lengths back to Honeysuckle. And, you know, it, it was a, a, 
an effort that was not within a country mile of the performances that we've seen, we've become used to seeing her uh, churn out over the last couple of seasons. You now, could have... I, I, I agree with you and I disagree with you, Dave. So I, I agree with you that it was not redolent of her best efforts, her champion hurdle wins and one or two of her victories in the Irish champion hurdle, though not the other one. But I would say that it's not that different from her efforts in the Hatton's Grace, where often she would travel very well, be asked to take it up early by Rachel Blackmore, and then scramble home as lack of a recent run and lack of fitness told. I mean, last year she beat Ronald Pump in the race, for goodness sake. He's not a a, a, a top-notcher. No, but she beat him by eight lengths, didn't she? And I think yesterday's race was was deeper, and I think the two horses that beat her on their game are very good. I think they're both 160-plus horses on their game. And if she needs a run to blow the cobwebs out, I don't think it's any disgrace. People calling for her retirement and, you know, this is it, this is the end of the road because she's beaten. It's it's almost as though a string of ones by her name is the it, it, it has become the sword of Damocles almost. Yeah, but that talk about retirement is absolute nonsense, isn't it? I mean, there was talk about... Uh, Shishkin being retired at eight years old after finishing third in a Tingle Creek at Sandown Park on Saturday. I think that the, the the Hatton's Grace, for me, that stands out as an unexceptional effort probably was the one before of 2020 when she beat Ronald Pump by half a length. I know what you mean, but I still think that uh, the, the yesterday's winner was a horse who looked really progressive until, as as far as I saw, it looked like his limitations were pretty barely exposed at the highest level last spring and as i said whilst a uh, classical dream is is a, a an excellent you know rattling good horse at two miles and latterly at three it is at three that um he's made his name recently I, I, i'm not in any way calling for uh honeysuckle's retirement i just think that this is a i, I think this was a, a really below par effort as i say she traveled strongly uh to the front it may be that there was something there was something amiss to explain it. We do get hung up on these hum, these unbeaten records, and I share that view that's held by many that uh, the the very best thing that any horse can do is to be beaten on its very first start and then rack up those uh, sequence of ones so that the racing public and the racing media uh, don't obsess with the unbeaten record. But it's it's what happens next for Honeysuckle, isn't it? Because in our own minds over the last a uh, few weeks and especially since Constitution Hill's return to action in the fighting fifth hurdle at Newcastle what we've had in our own minds is this wonderful clash in the champion hurdle between the young pretender and uh, the incumbent who's won the race uh, the, the last two runnings of the race and now that looks a pretty one-sided contest doesn't it? It's fair to say that yesterday was a, a very good day day for, for Gordon Elliott He's got a, a raft of talent. We've always known that. But if he, as he pointed out on this podcast a few weeks ago, is rebuilding his operation, I, I'd suggest he just needs the roof on now. He's nearly done, isn't he? Victory of Mighty Potter yesterday, I think, was was emblematic of of the the resurgence, if you like. Maybe resurgence is overstating it because they haven't really uh, gone away uh, the, the, or they haven't diminished to that extent, uh, the Gordon Elliott fortunes. But yeah, it, it looks very promising. Uh, is is it uh, is it pie in the sky talk uh, to to think about a first trainers championship for Gordon Elliott? Well, the the the, the might 
uh, Willie Mullins is still such that I think that's going to be difficult. But certainly, uh, he's got some horses that uh, at least you would expect will enable him to share top billing uh, with Mullins when we get to the spring. You mentioned Willie Mullins. Facile Vega was brilliant on Saturday at Fairy House, um, as was Nicky Henderson's chaser, John Bon, at Sandown uh, the same day. And it got me to thinking that the, the first two races of the Cheltenham Festival already have very short price favourites and already have the prospect of very small fields. Now, I don't want to douse the bonfire because these are wonderful, wonderful horses and they're going to put people on the box office. But it is a, it is early in the season to be already imagining very one-sided affairs, particularly in novice races. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I thought with, with Facil Vega that if you start at nine to one on, it's surely it, it's surely impossible to leave people impressed if you if you see what I mean. Like the market expectations are so high, what can you do to have people going away saying, "My word, what have we seen there?" But he was he 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 didn't come out of well, never mind second gear. Hardly came out of first gear to one to win a you know a, a maiden hurdle by uh, fourteen lengths and. What uh, Fasil Vega did in bumpers last year, it, you know, it, it looks as though he's going to continue that over obstacles, doesn't it? I, it, I agree with you that the, uh, the the first two races of the Cheltenham Festival have already got a short price favourites. You don't want to douse the uh, bonfire, but it's a it's a disappointing trend of the last few years, and the signals from the early weeks of the jump season proper, if I can use uh, that phrase for want of a better one, are uh, that it's going to continue in 2023. And you just look at those those prices, five to four, best price, Facile Vega for the Supreme Novices. Uh, John Bond, seven to four, Constitution Hill, two to five. Well, sometimes you're just in the presence of greatness and you have to accept that. But not everyone will say that Facile Vega in the Supreme is is over the line. Certainly not Barry Connell, to whom we spoke last week, whose Marine Nationale was impressive again, as he predicted, confidently predicted on this pod a few days ago in the Royal Bond Novices Hurdle. The margin of victory was small, but the manner of it was somewhat great. He's still available at 10 to 1 for the Supreme. I had to complete the story. I had to complete the circle. And Barry explained to me this morning that when he got to Ferry House, he had reservations about the, the winter ground. And on Saturday it was beautiful and when, when we got there it had rained overnight and they changed the ground twice it was, it was soft it was soft ground but we probably got away with it um flat track uh, the hurl track was a little better and they'd only had one juvenile race on it um whereas the chase chase course had deteriorated completely hey, hey barry on the on the podcast last week you 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 told me about this this young rider um Michael O'Sullivan, I can see why you, I can see why you like him so much. He's got, he's got nerves of steel on that ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, what I said to him going out, I said, listen, you, you've won three times on this horse. You, you know him better than anyone else. And, um, luckily for him, um, a horse with speed will, will always get you out of trouble. If you know he has the speed, you know that when the gaps open, like, Going down to the last, when when um, a little gap opened, when Patrick drifted slightly out, he had the speed to get through the gap. Like if you're if you're if you're on a slightly slower horse, the gap.
gap is always traveling too fast for you. <laughs> you never get through the gap. It, so, um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a combination of the horse being exceptional um, and him being knowing and playing to playing to his strengths. So, if he's all about speed, do you think do you think he's a supreme horse through and through? Out and out, no question about it. And I, th- I, th- I think he'll I think he'll be I think he'll he's the greatest horse on the flat as well. So might might that be a might that be the option for next for next summer? Uh, it could be. I think he could be a it could be a it could be a Royal Ascot horse. Um, whether it's this year or next year. Um, um, but like Noel Mead has the horse by the same sorry Lafayette who's a great two horse, um, and he he just does everything so easily. Like yesterday was the first day he's ever come off the bridle, and the one good thing was that we now know that he's tough as well as having all the other attributes, being a being a good a good a good jumper, well traveling really well, um, and you know we you know he he picks up the stays so. He's ticked all the ticked all the boxes. Like you know, I had kind of put my head above the parapet and I said we've never had one like him before. And I meant that in terms of of being a quick horse. I've had plenty of Grade One horses that were stairs, but this guy's just a bit special. Yeah, he he is, does look a bit special on on that evidence. But given your reservations about too much soft ground during the winter, are are we not going to see him much until the spring? Probably not. Uh, you know, definitely not Christmas. Um, he's definitely going to the Supreme, and we have an option to go to the Dublin Race Festival. Um, but what's in the back of my mind now? He's he, he's been on the go since May. Um, he won a bumper in May, and then he won a bumper in Killarney. He was spaced out his races. He's he's not an over robust horse. Um, He's not allowed you to pull out and run, you know, because uh, he gives you everything. He gives you everything on the bridle. It's like Archibald in the old days. You know, you think he's not doing much, but he is. Um, so uh, if he does have a run, it'll be one run. Um, but we could easily just give him, a, give him a break and then bring him there really fresh. It's taken me till now to get to the marquee performance of the weekend, Edward Stone's demolition job in the Tingle Creek Chase. His part owner breeders, Robert and Jane Avery, on their way to Lingfield to see Edward Stone's little sister running today. Could complete a fabulous weekend for them. And this is what they had to say about Saturday. I still can't believe it, Nick. I you know, woke up this morning and thought, is it really, you know, is it is it a fairy tale? But no, it's uh, amazing. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And, and Alan King said to me yesterday, genuinely, he'd have been happy with, you know, a respectable third. What what were you and, and your great friends, the Thirtles, thinking? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, we said exactly the same. We listened, always listened to Alan, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just, you've got to look at the form, haven't you, you know? And, you know, us, you know, you can have you can have dreams, but the form is always the form. And, you know, our form was probably maybe third, maybe fourth, something like that, you know, with a good run and a clean run coming from the second last, you know. If I told you, Jane, that, that when you you and your great friends and neighbours decided to put a effectively a point-to-point mare in foal for a bit of fun, that you'd be you'd be in this position now, what would you have said? I'd, I'd say, like, well, unbelievable. It just, it, as I said, you know, it's sort of something that you dream of and... Uh, 
you never think it's ever going to happen. So, you know, to be in this position is just uh, amazing. And have you had have you had good reports of his well-being uh, yesterday and today? Has he, has he come out of the race well? Yeah, yeah. Alan was thrilled with him yesterday morning. Absolutely bang on, yeah. Yeah, he was on uh, a great form yesterday morning and had a long chat with him and then listened to him on the, on the television with you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, no, he, he couldn't be more happy with him and everybody at home was happy with him. And haven't spoken to him this morning yet. You know, we're now on our way to Lingfield, so probably have a chat with him when we get there. So just tell us about um, Edward Stone's younger sister who's running at Lingfield today. Yeah, I'm running ran in um, a bumper at Suzzle first time. That was second to a horse that actually is, I see has won a couple of hurdles this time. Um, yeah, she's, you know, she's going to be a, a labour maturing one. Uh, very, very straightforward from what I've heard. Tom's been very pleased as his school. Uh, we ran a, a, in a Cheltenham bumper after that and yeah, lost her way a bit. She, Alan said he ran her too quick and she, she was very free over the first mile. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just something to look forward to, you know, expect um, don't expect she's a superstar, I don't know, but, you know, she's certainly done nothing, you know, nothing wrong yet, you know. And and Jane, suddenly, she herself has become a, a rather important and valuable proposition. Is it is the idea that, that she can she continues the Edward Stone legacy when her racing days are done? Oh yeah, that that, that that's uh, yeah, certainly that's what uh, we're hoping. You know, that's the only uh, only female we've got uh, on that line. You know, and we we, run, we haven't been able to get the mare in foal this year. So uh, yeah, that's. Uh, definitely on the agenda you know Ian, Ian and I will be getting a bit of tooth about us by the time any of her progeny come to racing but um, you know you've got to sort of breed uh, national animals as if you're going to live forever you know <laughs> and on that brilliant note that's where we'll leave it thanks so much for talking to me again best of luck this afternoon cheers Nick Robert and Jane Avery clearly delighted and living the dream with Edward Stone. Uh, it'll be the Desert Orchid Chase at Kempton next for him and then possibly the Game Spirit at Newbury en route to the Champion Chase and beyond. Dave Yates, what did you make of this horse? Just how impressed were you? For, for, for my money, Nick, Edward Stone going into Saturday had an awful lot to prove. Obviously, he'd won the Henry VIII Novices Chase uh, at Sandown on the same card in 2021 but not so much the the defeat by gentleman de me at Aintree last April it was just the fact that I didn't think that the two mile novice chase division uh, last season was particularly strong and this was a a race where he came up against Shishkin who of course was having his first outing since that um that bone condition uh, was diagnosed in the wake of his defeat in last year's uh, champion chase at Cheltenham. And also Grenatine, maybe a horse who many people don't think of as a two-mile star, but certainly one who's got uh, bundles to form at the highest level and much of it at Sandown, the defending uh, title holder in the Tingle Creek and also a dual winner of the Celebration Chase. And the way that Edward Stone put nine lengths between himself and Grenatine uh, from the second last, I thought was really, really impressive. We weren't talking about cloying ground uh, in Isha on Saturday. It wasn't the sort of terrain that you would expect to extend uh, winning distances. And he absolutely motored up that hill to humble two horses with, as I say, bundles of grade one form between them. Um, so going into that race, I thought he had plenty to prove, but my, didn't he prove it? I thought he was really impressive. I, 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 I've I, not read any uh, stuff over the last 
48 hours that has sought to pick holes in Edward Stone, but and and I I thought it was I thought he was really impressive, and I thought I think he's now the uh, the the standard bearer for the the British two milers at least. Yeah, no doubt about that. Shishkin was lurching to his left again, particularly at the pond fence. Uh, he had some physical issues, clearly that they found after after the Cheltenham Festival. You wonder whether those are physical issues that will ever entirely go away, don't you? Yeah, you certainly do. Um, afterwards, Nicky Nick Henderson said, uh, we'll go up in trip. And he he said quite tellingly that um, if he'd been doing the, the entries for Cheltenham yesterday morning, that um, the one race that Shishkin would not go in would be the champion chase. And he said he would be much more likely to go uh, for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Generally, I think that horses who step up in distance as a normal career parabola, remember Corto Star being a star two-miler who then went up in distance to win two Cheltenham Gold Cups, that is a natural thing to do, and it often works. What I struggle with generally is when horses go up in trip as a as a plan B, if you like, uh, to, to, to try and reignite the... The spark. I think that is a much less uh, successful move, generally looking at, at the horses that have done it over the years, and that I think will be a problem for Shishkin. There clearly is some issue that that makes him go out to the left, and that is going to hold him back. Well, another another Saturday, another big race winner for for Dan Skelton, who who joins me now. Da- Dan, protector out first, and then and then last weekend, Lamilos, now Ashtown lad. At least two of those three wouldn't have been on everybody's lips at the beginning of this season. Yeah, how how long out are you targeting these races with these horses? Um, I t- I, to be honest with you, both. I uh, say protector out. It was fairly obvious from the Gold Cup, um, and then the other two really from the. I sort of had that race in mind, the Beecher for Ashtown Lad since last year's Scottish National, because he just didn't quite stay the full trip that day. So I thought sort of three mile two and those big jumps would probably suit him. But uh, Lamilos, you know, I got him obviously in the summer. So I really sort of didn't know anything about him until I sort of give him, I don't know, probably a month's work. And then we kind of had the Beecher in mind for him just because he'd obviously been quite uh, quite tough and consistent last year and won a nice race at Sandown for previous connections. Um, we kind of had the, the Grand National's long-term plan, thus we thought the Beecher might be a considerate. Um, but after I saw a few bits of sort of not, not full work from him, but a bit of, uh, you know, a few threes up the hill, I was beginning to think, crikey, he could just be one for the Coral. But um, he needed to go and do well at Bangor. He took me by surprise when he won because... I thought that day he'd only be sort of third or fourth, maybe take a blow. And he was clearly ahead of himself that day. So when you get one like that, you've got to sort of aim high. Um, and that gave me the confidence to go for the Coral. Mm. And then and then Ashtown, lad, with the, with the Beecher, it, it, were you looking at him as a Grand National horse from a long way out? Um, yeah, but he's got to go and he's now got to go and stay the trip. So we always felt he'd be a suitable horse for those fences. Um, but the trip is just an unanswered question at the moment. And like I said on the day, you know, who's to say that as they get older, they don't stay a bit better. But if you take the bare sort of facts of the Scottish National, he just didn't stay the trip. If you stop the race turning in, you'd say he's a very likely, you know, he is one of a few that is could win this race. And of course, Christian Williams's mare went on and won it very easily. But at the time, we were right there and, and, and could win for turning in. And I think we've ended up being beaten 20-something lengths and finished 
I think fourth or fifth. So we just didn't quite stay that marathon trip. Like I say, with a different preparation and a year under his belt, maybe he will stay an, an extreme trip. But um, look, first and foremost, we're so proud of what he's done, and I'm so proud of the team what they've achieved over the last four weeks. Because like I, I know I want to add um, Nuba Negra into the mix. I know he was ten to one on and everything else, and should have won. But you know, we got him there in good shape at Cheltenham as well. So. It's been an amazing four weeks for the team. I'm just very, very proud of them. Right. How do you keep it going? How are you going to keep it going this weekend if the weather holds up? Well, that's what we need is we need some weather. But um, Midnight River's one of the fancied horses for this December Gold Cup. And he's a, obviously a massive player, third behind Galore last time. I'd love to see some softening conditions. I might even go and walk the course midweek to see how it really how it really walks. Um I've got to talk to his owners as well because you know we wouldn't want to just risk him on, on, on really good ground. Not risk. That's not the right word. But what I wouldn't want to do is go and run him on really good ground when you know you've got lots of races to follow. Um, it's just very, it's just strange times with these weathers. And you know what I'm like. I'll run them, but I only want to run them if it's you know really appropriate for the horse. So um, I've just got to sort of make sure this weekend is is that decent ground. New course suiting better than the old course. Hundred percent. If it was good to soft Nick, I'd be you know, I wouldn't say I'd be bullish, but I'd be like, Yeah, massive, massive chance. I think he's a massive chance anyway, um, if the ground is just on the slow side. But you know, if you sort of started to get him into good to soft and even soft in places, I think it enhances his chance. Any further thoughts on what you're gonna do with Protector? Yeah, he definitely definitely won't run in the King George unless there was a rearrangement and that's why I, I put him in at the original stage but I'd, I'd like to go to the Cotswold chase I have said before that the Fleur de Lise at Lingfield is in consideration and that hasn't changed but it is consideration rather than plan A plan A would be go Cotswolds Dan Skelton there only about 100 grand or so behind Paul Nichols at the top of the trainers championship a fact that is unlikely to be lost on either of them David Yates rejoins me we've heard about Ashtown lad and his uh, possible limitations for the Grand National and, and stamina there, a sentiment I know you agree with. What about Noble Yates, a horse I know you like, uh, and whether he now, this season's Grand National, or this year's Grand National winner, is a horse that could yet end up being a major player for the Gold Cup? What do you reckon? I think Noble Yates is. I, I, I think that the the Gold Cup market at the moment, because of the disappointments of Aputar in uh, the the Betfair chase a couple of weeks ago. I th- well, if you look at the market, it's it's not open because it's it's headed by uh, Galopin Deschamps. But I do think that Noble Noble Yates is capable of developing into a um, a horse that's capable of challenging for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I don't think that the uh, the form of the the many clouds chase on Saturday is by any means exceptional. But the way that Noble Yates won it, I mean. It was like watching Dancing Brave sweep down the outside, but in a sort of reverse angle, because obviously they're going the other way around uh, on Saturday. He absolutely just motored past uh, the two horses that were in front of him to win by, what was it, three and a quarter lengths in the end. And he, he's only seven. So remember that time a few years ago when we, we when we had to dig out the reports and the, the articles from the previous year about how uh, grand national winners uh, don't win races anymore and is this race that has become too grueling because uh, they never come back from it well noble yates seems to have been he seems to have used the the grand national as a, as a platform uh, to greater glories doesn't he um that's pulled up effort at Auteuil in mid october is a distant memory now uh, he's 
won his last two races and the way that he won that on Saturday uh, for all that I think that uh, the form is probably nothing special the way that Noble Yates did it I, I certainly think that he's capable of developing it into a, a Gold Cup contender as I say he's seven rising eight there should be more to come well very sad to learn this morning of the death of Peter Hedger who was a very popular trainer for many years in the southeast of England Brendan Powell, who is now an assistant to Joseph O'Brien, rode many of uh, Peter's big race winners uh, and joins me now. Brendan, some of our listeners will have very fond recollections of Peter. For those who didn't know him or, or don't remember him, perhaps just, just give us an idea of, of the contribution he made and, and why you enjoyed riding for him. Yeah, no, Peter was a great guy. Um, I mean, Mark Richards was sort of his first jockey um, and then he used to always put me on when Mark wasn't available but he, he um look we had some great times over the years he was a very jovial character um he was a very very shrewd trainer um i mean horses over the years he had the likes of uh jimmy lorenzo brilliant red on the flat alice Suf, uh veronica franco so he always had a good horse in his yard and i think john wheel was probably his biggest patron as an owner and um but you know he was a great man that would target uh, a horse for a race, and uh, yeah, he was just I mean, a brilliant all-round guy as well, you know. Um, I think at sort of that time, I was probably riding for David Ellsworth and then Captain Foster, and, uh, you know, they were, the, the, the captain especially was a real sort of, as you know, a real winter trainer. He probably trained horses for those four or five months in the, in the depths of the winter, but Peter was always very, you know, he was always there that, uh, in the other times and through the summer, and, um he loved Windsor. Windsor was one of his favourite tracks with jumpers. And we had the jump in there and uh, he loved it there and he loved sending horses there, having a little punt on one. He said he, he said he never had much on horses, but I'm sure he made a few quid. And, and he was one of those people, he, he, he gave his licence in for a bit and then, and then took it out again. He, he ran a successful transport business as well. I always got the feeling that he was one of those sort of people that you, you'd never get him to walk very far away from the sport. No, not at all. And he was a grafter as well, Nick. He, um, you know, he'd get in those boxes, he'd drive himself. And, you know, I think when he, he did mostly uh, for John Dunlop. And, and John Dunlop used to send horses up the north. It was Peter who always drove them up there. And he spent a couple of days up there with them as well. But, um, you know, and, and the one funny story about Peter was, if you look back, he, uh, and then when Arthur Stevenson retired, and um, he went to actually buy one man from uh, Arthur's dispersal sale. And uh, anyway, I think he made about 70 or 80 grand and he didn't get him and he gave five grand for another horse called, um, I think it was Castle King. And I rode him for John William Stratford one day and he was the most horrendous soul. He was never the same. And he used to just say to me every time, all I had to do was give another five grand and I'd have had one man. You know? <laughs> and, and then he goes, mind you, he'd have probably won the selling chase around Fogwell. You know what I mean? But that was the sort of guy Peter was. Uh, no, like he was great, and his wife Laura, they were a great team. Um, as I said, it's very sad. I, you know, because I'm in Ireland now, I haven't seen him for sort of two and a half years, but I spoke to him a couple of times, you know. Uh, it was same sad to hear he, he had been quite ill, but um, no, he was a great man, and he was so well known at the tracks, and he'd be missed. Well, thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me. Dave, before I get a tip, I. A conditional rider Ben Bromley picked up a, a 28-day ban for riding to the wrong winning post at Sandown on Saturday. We all know the familiar cliches after this. Held his hands up, won't be the last person, etc. 
We all know that. Um, my issue is, how does he get a 28-day ban when riding and finish a circuit early at Kempton Park got Neil Callan a 12-day ban? I, I, don't, I don't follow the logic there. No, it seems wildly inconsistent, doesn't it? Um, it must have been a chastening experience, that, for Ben Bromley, who's earned uh, some rave reviews thus far uh, in his uh, nascent career in the saddle. Yeah, it, it does seem inconsistent that you get 28 days in these circumstances and that uh, Neil Callan got 12 for that uh, riding the finish too early at Kempton Park. Uh, a month or so ago. I, I I can't explain that inconsistency. Um, do we have to revisit the old, the thorny old chestnut about the, the two winning posts at Sandown? Um, well, you, ca you can't have one winning post at Sandown because you have to have the line uh, uh, in alignment with the track, if that makes I, any, if that makes no. any sense. So if you looked head on at the two tracks, one would come at you from, um, from two o'clock and the other one would come at you from 12 o'clock. I, I get that, but do we have to have two winning posts on show during one race? People from the racing media talk about this. Sometimes we get pelters from uh, from listeners or, or readers to say you, you're defending the indefend indefensible, yeah, and you're 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 trying to cozy up to the jockey who's uh, who's made the mistake. But we've all done we, we've all played sport albeit at an amateur level and we know that there are things that you do when uh, when you're doing that that you would not do if you were sitting calmly behind a desk um i didn't I, I didn't explain that very well in the in the heat of the moment ben bromley has seen a winning post probably out of his almost peripheral vision because he won't be staring at it um, as he's riding a finish and he's made a mistake. Now, it surely must be possible that one winning post can either be by by the ground staff at Sander. I know what's going to happen. Eventually, if this happens, the, the wrong winning post will be uh, used or, or deployed uh, to um, to use the word in, in conjunction with the ground sheets uh, at Cheltenham later this week, and um, the the wrong the wrong winning post will be used. But but surely it's it's perfectly possible for a member or two of the ground staff to say right th that winning post is in use for this race, so we're going to take the other one down. Th this this has happened far too many times uh, in in my experience. At Sandown, I imagine that it's it stretches back uh, down the decades. Lee Mottershead made a, a a very good observation, a valid observation that that Sandown have done what they can uh, to to um, to try and help jockeys avoid this trap. But it is a trap in the future, and I think the 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 best, really, the only solution to this problem is for uh, for for every race. You you make sure that there is just one winning post that is visible, and this problem just won't happen again. All right, Dave. I want some advice for Monday afternoon. We're going to go to Wolverhampton for the seven twenty race, and it's number seven, Shola Empire. Uh, this horse has had three starts on the All Weather, has won one of them, was beaten into second in a handicap at Chelmsford City at the end of October, but I hope can go one better for a second career success here. Seven twenty race at Wolverhampton. Selection is number seven, Shola Empire.
Dave, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday the 5th of December. Back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.